Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Today, we've got one of our most exciting, most coveted guests. It's you. Yeah, another edition of Ask the Guys, where the Real Estate Guys answer your questions today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash real estate guys. Hi, this is Robert Helms. When it comes to real estate investing, there are lots of terms that get thrown around. Things like cap rate, pro forma, internal rate of return. But there's one term that is arguably the most important, but few if any teach it. Due diligence. That's making sure that what you see is what you get. Now, this is really important when it comes to real estate investing and not just properties and purchase contracts, but also real estate markets and submarkets. The truth is a great market can sometimes save you from a bad property. Of course, you never want to buy a bad property to begin with, but how can you be sure? Obviously, this is a huge topic. That's why it takes a ton of work and two full days to teach it. But this one seminar could literally be worth millions to you over your investing career. So join me in Dallas, Texas on July 20th and 21st for Analyzing Markets and Properties, the Due Diligence Process. In two jam-packed eight-hour days of classes, you'll learn how to research real estate markets and sort out the facts from the flow. You'll also learn how to go through your purchase contracts, rent rolls, inspections, and reports to make sure the deal itself is solid. Whether you invest in houses, multifamily, retail, office, land, resort, or any other type of real estate, this information is critical for your success. To learn more and sign up today, go to realestateguysradio.com and look under events or send your email request to registration at realestateguysradio.com. This unique training will teach you the places to look, people to meet, and questions to ask. You'll discover the best sources for information and receive a copy of my personal due diligence checklist. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks so much for tuning in. We have got a great show for you with our favorite guest. But first, let's meet the co-host financial strategist, Russell Bray. Hey, Robert. How are you doing? Excellent. This is such a great show and a great topic because our guest is our listeners. It is finally time for Ask the Guys. We're overdue for Ask the Guys. We've had so many great guests in the last few weeks. We haven't been able to squeeze this in, but uh, we're going to have more shows because we've got more questions that we can answer. Here's how it works. If you have a question for the Real Estate Guys, go to our website at realestateguysradio.com. Click the button that says Ask the Guys and fire away. Without further ado, let's get started. Oh, I guess we should first give the disclaimer. We are not tax professionals or attorneys. We do not give advice, just ideas and information. So here we go. Our first question uh, comes from Erica in Fort Wayne, Indiana. She he says, okay, I'm new to this. I keep hearing that now is a good time to invest in rentals. However, as I look around, it seems there are a lot of investors selling their rentals right now. What's up with that? Is it time to buy or time to sell? Seems like the investors are wanting to cash out. A lot of cash only offers are going on around here. Can you give advice to this cash poor newbie with past credit issues? Thanks in advance. All right, Erica. Well, there's a lot there. There is a lot there. So first of all, real estate's regional. Yeah, it sure is. So, you know, what's going on in a particular market and even within a region, you're going to have uh, marketplaces and product types. You know, for example, apartments have been super hot, whereas single family homes have not been so hot. And so the prices on single family homes and the rent ratios on single family homes have typically been better than apartments recently. So you have to look at the different types of products. I'm assuming because she's a newbie that she's probably talking about single family homes. Yeah. And let's talk about that because there are markets in the United States that it is definitely a seller's market. So there's tight constraints, prices are starting to go up, etc. However, that's the exception, not the rule. In most marketplaces, it's a buyer's market, so there's great opportunities. Why would a seller sell now? Most of the sellers, in my opinion, who are selling are selling because they have to, not because they think the market has pe peaked out. So uh, unlike any other investment uh, or even like real estate, you look at the stock market and you say, well, profit taking happened today when prices went down, meaning that people sold for a profit. When houses in marketplaces are selling at below replacement cost, less than it costs to build the house, and the prices are what they were five years ago, six years ago, 12 years ago in some markets, you're not seeing profit taking as much as you're seeing people getting their chips off the table. Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the things is that income property is valued by the income it produces. And so if the income is not going up, but the property prices are, then a seller might be inclined to sell because he realizes that people are bidding up for the same income. If the real income is coming up, then the seller's probably not gonna be interested in selling because that shows some real strong economic strength. Of course, at the end of the day, 
Each individual seller has his own reason. Somebody might say, hey, I've got a great portfolio of single family properties. I'm ready to move up to the big red hotel. Uh, get out of these little greenhouses. Somebody else might be saying, hey, I've got a situation in my personal life. I feel like I can do money or make money better elsewhere, or maybe I've got a new market that I'm interested in going into. So you have to begin to get a feel for what's happening in your individual market by understanding your numbers, what's going on in your market, understand what's going on in your economy, and then talk to people. There's real estate agents, there's property managers, there are even a lot of times you can talk directly to the owners and find out why they're doing what they're doing. Just be curious, ask questions. Yeah, and I think that maybe as you look around and see people selling, it's because they see there's better opportunity elsewhere. If you've been in a house and locked in a position in a rental property for a lot of years, and maybe you do have equity, but you see that there are markets where properties are on sale, maybe you do cash out of that to get into something else. So I don't, as I look around, and, and again, we're not in every real estate market, but we have kind of a big perspective. As I look around, I do not get the feeling that mass amounts of real estate investors are selling. No. Quite the opposite. I think that the sophisticated investors I know are in a land grab. They're trying to buy as much as they can. Does it mean we've hit the bottom? Absolutely not. And market timing is something you don't try to do well in any investment and certainly not in real estate. The idea today is if you can get a property to cash flow well, whether or not you think the price might still have a little further to go down, now's the time to get in position. You know, we talk often about Ken McElroy, one of the great investors we know. He was buying apartment buildings as prices and rents were both trending down and his peers thought he was crazy. Back then, there was very little competition for those apartment buildings. Today, those same apartment buildings are up 20, 30, 40%, multiple offers. The guy knew what he was doing. So if you see in any marketplace activity that leads you to believe a market is trending one way or the other, then your job is to go figure out if that is in fact true. As Russ says, get around the people in the business and ask. Don't ask your neighbor who has no rental property. Right. Don't ask the checkout gal at the supermarket who doesn't invest in real estate. Ask people who are active in the investment market and you'll start to get an idea. Overall, as we look across the country, we think it's a great time to be buying investment property because rents are up, more people are becoming tenants, not less, and you've got properties that are trading at the lowest value they have in years. We were just in Atlanta for a field trip a few weeks back and we noticed that properties were selling today at prices that that market hadn't seen in more than a decade. Meaning that if you didn't invest in Atlanta 10, 12 years ago, you haven't missed the market. Now, if you bought five years ago, okay, the market has come down considerably. But it sounds like uh, from your question, Erica, that uh, you're new to this. Now is, I think, a great time to be buying Well, there's estate. a couple of other things. First of all, her question comes from Indiana. And Indiana is a state where there's been a lot of interest in investors from out of the area. So right. maybe what's happening there isn't from the area. Second thing, she talks about cash-only offers. And we know that there's a lot of foreigners coming into the United States with cash because they see the United States on sale. Well, it's not just foreigners that are coming in with cash. They are coming in with cash, but also people who got bit by loans and mortgage and leverage are like, you know what? I can buy little houses in Indiana for cash. And then the third thing is there aren't too many lenders willing to make loans of twenty or thirty or forty thousand dollars. Right. So you've got to be able to look at cash offers in a marketplace. And to me, cash offers doesn't say it's time to get out. That's not when, when we start to see lots of cash offers, that's a signal that people are getting in. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's what begins to happen. And the other thing is funds are being formed to, to go take advantage of the great bargains in the single family residential space right now. The one thing we're assuming in here is that she's looking at income producing properties. And some people are buying single family homes for speculation. They're buying it saying, hey, it's super low right now. It's going to go up. I'm going to buy it, pay cash for it. I don't have any debt service. And then six months from now or a year from now, I'm going to make a bunch of money. It's a better place to park your dollars than maybe treasury bonds or even savings accounts. Or even cash. Well, exactly. All right. This next question comes from Dan in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Okay. I'm 21 years old. I'm about to graduate from college. I want to get in real estate, but I live in Rhode Island. As you may know, we have one of the highest unemployment rates. Central Falls went bankrupt and Providence is on the way. The state really does not have any strong industries and the property taxes are outrageously high. I'm having a very tough time getting the numbers to work on any properties I've looked at. What advice would you give a young kid who has never invested before about buying property out of state? Thanks for the great content that you provide. All right, first of all, congratulations on taking an interest at 21 years old. I wish I hadn't waited till I was 24 to buy my first property. You know, lots of folks uh, wait until they're 30, 40, 50 before they start thinking about this stuff. So that's awesome. And you bring up a great point. You're in an expensive market. Is that all bad? Well, not necessarily. Necessarily, high-end markets tend to trade well over time. But 
One of my favorite things to tell people is that you can live wherever you want to live, but you should invest where the numbers make sense. And the, the biggest thing glaring at me from, from this question is get out of Dodge. Nothing keeps you as an investor in the area that you live in. It's sometimes comfortable and you know the area if you're trying to invest, but if the numbers won't work and you've tried in the area you live in, then widen your horizon. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, obviously open to going into a different state and really saying, well, how do I do that? If I'm located here, how do I go there? It's one of the reasons we do field trips. And there's people out there that uh, you know provide opportunities. Obviously, the internet is a great way to start your search and begin to pay attention to marketplaces and what's going on in the marketplaces and the trends. And kind of if there's a buzz, we like bigger markets as opposed to smaller markets because you have a bit of critical mass and you have the opportunity to um, to, to buy into where there's a certain degree of infrastructure and support and momentum that a marketplace has. People are always going to want to aggregate where there are amenities. You know, that's true in a, an apartment complex, that's true in a community, that's true in a city. If you've got freeways and transportation and education, culture, things to do, and of course employment, all of those things factor into being more stable and in a very unstable economy, and obviously coming from a very unstable economy, you can see that if you don't have those things. So the first thing I would say is stick to big markets. Go, go into big markets and then take your time before you buy anything, get to know the market. You can't study 20 markets. Pick three, maybe, and begin to compare them. Pick four or five, maybe at the most, and then narrow your search. And then you're going to actually have to go there and spend some time and look around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're looking for exactly what your market doesn't offer. So you have high unemployment. Look for markets that have low unemployment. And there are some. You have a, a market that has, doesn't have any strong industry. There are markets that have very strong industries. Now, you want to be careful of the one-story town. Don't be in a, a marketplace that only has one industry or one company that provides the majority of the employment because that's single-point failure. But there are a lot of great markets. The other thing is, as a brand-new person, part of the ideas I would give you is that there are very great markets today that are inexpensively priced. And so today, you can buy a house for forty, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000. The whole house, not just the down payment, which means that you can stick your toe in the water. You you don't have to be all in. If I was going to go buy a single family home or say a four unit in Rhode Island, I would expect to pay a lot of money. I can buy a property that will perform very well in a handful of other markets for a fraction of that cost. And I think one of the other things really cool about being in that price point is the fact that guys who are selling in that price point know that lending is hard to come by. Lenders don't want to make loans that are that small. So these guys, because the loans are small, organize their own credit lines and they have the ability to actually carry some of that back. So if you're just starting out and you maybe don't have the strong credit history or you don't have the uh, ability to go get conventional financing, sometimes those less expensive marketplaces, you're going to find financing options that you wouldn't normally find in the more expensive markets. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, great question. Secondly, congratulations for thinking about investing at 21 years old. If you do it, if you stick to it, if you get educated, if you put your toe in the water, if you start to actually take action, you're not going to have a thing to worry about 20, 40, 60 years from now. Today is Ask the Guys. You are our guest on The Real Estate Guys. We'll take more of your questions when we come back. You're tuned to The Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Live nationwide, you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. The Real Estate Guys podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of The Real Estate Guys, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. Here's one you might like, Home Buying for Dummies by Eric Tyson and Ray Brown. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash Guys. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash real estate guys. You already know that Dallas Fort Worth is one of the strongest real estate markets in the country. Now all you need is a great source for turnkey properties. Great news. Wilson Investment Properties has been providing fully renovated, rented, positive cash flow properties to real estate investors for over 10 years. Founder Tom Wilson is an avid investor himself. With over 200 units of his own, you know he understands what investors need. Contact Tom and his team at 888-510-6838, extension 123, or send an email to wilson at realestateguysradio.com. 
Hi, this is Kendra Todd, winner of The Apprentice, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. And welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Heard every weekend on this fine radio station all the time at realestateguysradio.com. Today, you are our guest. It's Ask the Guys. Our next question comes from Tasha in Washington, D.C. She says, hello, guys. I just started listening to your podcast, and I hear you talk a lot about leverage. What is it? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, un- under our uh, whole mantra of no investor left behind, I guess we should be more specific when we talk about these things. And it's part of the the balance we have. We have very sophisticated, very experienced investors, and we have a lot of new folks, and we love them all. So leverage is simply one of the greatest tools ever when it comes to acquiring real estate. It reminds me of that old Sound of Music song, my favorite things, you know, all the different things that are my favorite things. Anyway, leverage is absolutely one of my favorite things. You can have time leverage. When we talk about it, most of the time we're talking about financial leverage, and that's really just financing. If you have the ability to control a piece of property with 20% down, that's one-fifth of the price of the property. The other four-fifths are going to come from the bank. But when you own the property, all of the cash flow belongs to you, all of the appreciation belongs to you, all of the depreciation belongs to you, all of the amortization, the pay down of the loan belongs to you. Now, for that, you have to pay rent on the money. And as long as the rent you're paying, the interest you're paying on the money is less than the profit you're making on the money, then you're making a profit on somebody else's money and that's the benefit of leverage. So to use a simple example, say you bought a property, it doesn't matter whether it's a piece of land or a house or an apartment building, it cost $100,000 and over time it went up to $110,000. If you bought all cash, $100,000 in cash, and then it was worth 110, dollars now we're gonna set aside sales costs and tax and all that just for the simplicity, but now you have a 10% gain, at least on paper, because the $10,000 increase is 10% of your 100,000. Imagine instead you had put just 20% down or $20,000. You'd still have a $10,000 gain. Now that's a 50% gain. Now again, you haven't realized it and so forth, but the idea of leverage is to put part of your own resources, money, time, talent into the deal and rely on somebody else's. The financial leverage is the bank, but it's not the only way we talk about leverage. When I find, say, a great real estate agent in a marketplace who knows how to source deals and find great sellers and bring me properties, I am leveraging that person's experience and resume and history and relationships in the marketplace to my advantage. When I have a great lender that stays up to date on what packages and programs are out there and knows how to put me into an awesome loan package based on my financial situation, I am leveraging their experience. So leverage isn't just financial. What leverage is, is the way to work through other people to get even a better result. Absolutely. I mean, and that's probably the greatest benefit of it. We do it all the time for people with field trips. We go into a field trip because of who we are. We get all kinds of people coming to us to say, hey, I want to tell the story about my town and explain to you how it works. Great. We'll go in in advance and lay the whole thing out. And then somebody comes in and just for you know $1,000 in the cost of the airfare gets to leverage all the work that we did and get a much higher return on their investment because we did all the advance work. And of course, we're leveraging our time because instead of just doing it for ourselves, we're doing it for 20 or 30 other people who are all paying us to be on the trip. So it's a great way to use leverage for both people to get more for what they bring to the table. We bring our time, talent, and experience. You bring your cash. You get more for your money. We get more for our time. There you go. That's leverage. All right. Good question. Our next question comes from Kingsley in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And he says, hi, guys. I've just listened to your podcast called Getting Deals Done. I really like the information that you've shared in this show as well as your other shows. I understand what you're talking about when you say get to know the other party to find a win-win situation. And I'm a bit stuck as to how to get to know the other party when we're both working with realtors. I generally find realtors don't want to have everyone in a room to discuss the deal. It seems they prefer to constantly relay messages, which makes asking questions like, what do you plan to do with the proceeds of the sale a bit hard to ask, especially when the realtors feel or say that they can't disclose that information for some reason. I really appreciate your input on this. Thanks for the great information throughout the years. All right. So great question, Kingsley. And yeah, in a perfect world, it would be great if we could ask the seller what their intentions were. What are you trying to accomplish? Why do you want this? Where are you going? What are you going to do with the proceeds? That would be wonderful. And the only market that really happens in 100% of the time 
is fantasy land because when people are represented by professionals, realtors or other professionals, attorneys and so on, there is a duty they have to protect you. And it's really set up so that we have arm's length negotiation. We love to use real estate professionals. We think they provide an invaluable service, but at the same time, it can be frustrating because you don't have the opportunity. And, and just understand the reason behind that. If you were to talk directly with the seller and you're the buyer, you're going to compromise each of your positions as you are having a conversation about things. They don't want to disclose to you some of the information that you want to have. So one of my favorite expressions is it's good to want. It's good that you want to know what the seller wants to do with the proceeds. The reality is that sometimes you're just not going to find out. Now, some of the best deals we've ever been involved with have been direct deals where we've been working with a seller or a buyer of a property directly. Now, it's not to cut out the realtor for the reasons that, that most people think. It's instead because through our relationships, organically, we find somebody who, hey, is trying to get rid of a property. Hey, that might work for our portfolio. Let's get in a conversation. Once we have kind of a meeting of the minds, then we hand it to the real estate professionals and let them deal with it. So no harm to ask if the realtor can find out some information. But if it's personal motivation, or a personal question, you might not get the answer. I remember I had a, a gal in my appraisal class come up and say, you know, the, I'm buying a property, a fourplex, and we're asking for the seller's tax returns, but they're not giving them to us. <laughs> well, you're right. You don't get to have the seller's tax returns. I can see why you might want them to see what they've reported in terms of the income and expenses and so forth, but you don't have the right to ask someone for their tax returns. Now, on the flip side, sometimes someone will make one of their schedules available to you to show what their expenses incurred were, how much depreciation they've taken, all those kinds of things. But you don't get to have all that information. You want to ask for as much as you can and come up with the reality that you're not always going to get it. Yeah. Now, you know, obviously, Robert, you were a realtor for a long time and you did lots and lots of deals with uh, you and your dad. And so you're much more qualified. So my question really be an add on question for you to comment on, you know, if I'm working with a real estate agent, my thing would be to make sure that real estate agent understands who I am, what I'm trying to accomplish, what my agenda is and be very open kimono with them because effectively they're my agent. They're working on my behalf and they need to go in there and be me in that transaction. And so to me, looking at this question, I would say, spend time with your real estate agent. First of all, spend time with yourself and make really sure you're clear and then make sure you communicate that and hopefully you're dealing with a realtor who is creative themselves. They're investors themselves. They know how to do creative deals and not just the boilerplate deals. No, that's a great comment. And, and for sure, on your side of the transaction, yes. And it would be great if on the other side of the transaction, the other party had done the same thing, and then the realtors could have a very meaningful conversation with each other. Now, there are some things that are taboo. Let's say I tell my real estate agent, all right, we're going to offer 250 but I'll tell you what, I'll go to 275 Your realtor absolutely cannot disclose that to the other party. At the same time, let's say the seller is willing to take 225 and they tell their agent that. The agents can't go, yeah, my guy will go higher, oh, my guy will go lower. That's what they can't talk about. What they can talk about is anything you empower them to. If you say, I want you to make sure the other party knows this. Now, let me tell you from a practical viewpoint how we used to do that when we represent folks. My dad was masterful at this. He would always write a cover letter to the other agent, typically when we were representing a buyer, telling them all the great stuff about our buyer. Here's our buyer. Here's why they're great. Here's why they're qualified. Here's what their job is. Here's what they like about the property. Not disclosing too much personal information, but enough that it puts the seller on our side, if you will. If they're getting multiple offers, our offer looks better when they don't know anything because the seller wants to know about the buyer and the buyer wants to know about the seller. Some of that you'll be able to work through the real estate agents to get and sometimes not. So back to the show, yeah, you want to be able to get on the same side of the table as the other party, understand what they're trying to accomplish. In the real world, sometimes it just can't happen. Your best way to make it happen is to be as open as you can and make sure your agent is a great agent. So good question and uh, thanks for uh, continuing to listen. Kingsley. Our next question comes from Richard in Los Angeles, California. Uh, the subject, Equity Happens. Hey, I know that book. Yep. Just plowed through the book. Couldn't put it down. It really gave me the answer to the conundrum between saving and investing. Great book. So, by the way, if uh, if you want to know how to have a better chance of having your question read, you say things like, you have a really great show or we love your book. All right, here we go. In the book, you had an example of reaching critical mass at $3 million, of which $1.5 was equity for the cash one desired to have. 
There was no mention of how the cash would be dispersed without being taxed. Could you explain how you envisioned realizing one's goal without taking tax into consideration? All right, great. Uh, and also, thanks, and I drew a list to, the, uh, to you guys on the podcast. All right, so the idea of critical mass, first of all, let's talk about that so we get everybody on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. So critical mass, the concept of critical mass is that in order for you to produce enough income, spendable income, for you to live on at whatever level you want to live on when you're done trading time for dollars, you have to have enough money to deploy into income producing investments that will give you that level of income. So that's the concept of critical mass. And the idea is there's two sessions in your real estate investing career. There's the acquisition stage when I'm trying to get more and more assets and more cash flow and producing more and more. Then I get to this point, critical mass, where I get to shift my investment philosophy and say, all right, you know what? Based on what I have now, if I just deploy that in a different manner, I'm set. I have all the financial income I need. And so critical mass, the number is different for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. It's very different for everybody. And it's also going to vary depending on what the market gives you. If you can go put money in 12% in the bank account and you've got a million dollars, you've got $120,000 a year coming in, that might be your number. That's $10,000 a month that comes in. FDIC insured sitting in the bank, right? And you feel comfortable with that. Well, with the big if of getting 12% on well, the Well, that's bank, the big right? if. But if the market would give that to you, if not, then you're going to have to go in search of other types of investments. So part of it is how do you get the equity out of a property? And there's multiple ways to do that. If you were to do it, for example, in a 1031 tax deferred exchange and move it from a marketplace where you were investing primarily for long-term growth of equity based on supply, demand, economic dynamics, and then shift shifted that to another marketplace that where there was uh, high income producing properties, you may not realize much long-term appreciation, but you'd get a high capitalization rate on that. That would be a way to do it without having to face penalties in terms of income tax. Uh, you might sell your properties and then take back a note. And if you carried back that financing, now you're holding a mortgage on a property that you've already owned and know how to operate, but you don't have any of the ownership headache. And you'd have to work with your own tax guy to see exactly what the impact would be, but you would typically receive income tax on the income as it came through, which would be true no matter where you deployed it, but you don't realize your whole gain all at once. So that's another way to do it. Yeah, there's an assumption in this question that you're trying to do it without being taxed. And you can, there are some ways to do that, but you don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Sometimes it's better to pay some tax to have the durability of the income or the investment vehicle that you feel safe with in terms of your risk tolerance. So you want to take tax into consideration and you absolutely want to work with a tax professional, preferably one who owns real estate themselves because they're going to be in a better position to understand it and then figure out what makes the most sense. Tax is just one part of the equation. If I could get three times the return in a taxable scenario than I could in a non-taxable scenario, as long as the tax isn't three times the return, uh, that might be a better way to go. Right. Yeah. At the end of the day, you have to do the math and the math will tell you what to do. Another tool we use to get equity out of a property and, and mitigate a tax circumstance, and this tool isn't as readily available as it used to be, but if you've got a pile of equity in a property and it's got good cash flow, or even if it doesn't, if you can just qualify to get the equity out with a cash out refinance and then take that money and deploy it for income, you may be able to have your cake and eat it too. You can keep the property, make enough money to cover that note, and then move the equity to a higher producing property or a higher producing vehicle. So at the end of the day, you net out with more income. So the question is really going to depend on what's going on in the market, what kind of investment vehicles are available in the market, what your tax situation is personally, and what kind of tools are available in the financing world to help you. All right. Great question, Richard, and uh, great luck to you. Our next question comes from Will in New York, New York. I was just in New York, New York, and in fact, uh, had a wonderful time there, as I always do. What a great city that is. He says, love your show. I wanted to know what advice you can give me. I have excellent credit, but not much money. How can I invest in real estate? Well, you can't. Okay, next question. Ah. No, just kidding. Will, um, this is a, a great question. First of all, we don't give advice, but we will give you some ideas and information. And uh, and here you go. Credit is one of your seven essential investor resources. And if you have great credit, it is a wonderful tool. Now, if you can marry that to a big old stack of cash, you're in great shape. But that doesn't mean it has to be your capital. 
absolutely there are ways that you can invest with partnerships, joint ventures, and so on, and be able to use what you have, that is credit, with somebody else who may be, hey, they've got a lot of money, but they had a foreclosure in the meltdown, or they lost some properties, or they had some sort of hit to their credit score because of what happened in the last few years. And a lot of people are like that, still solid citizens, still great income, great cash, that you uh, put that together with someone like yourself who has credit, that could be a winning combination. Absolutely, absolutely. So it is going to require a little bit of research on your part, first of all, just to understand how good is your credit really. Excellent credit is an interesting term. Excellent credit usually has to be paired with income. If you have excellent credit and excellent income, now you have a lot more to work with. If you only have excellent credit and you don't have excellent income, that's a little bit harder and you may want to move up to a property where they're going to count the income from the property a lot more than they're going to count your personal income. So the key is when you're dealing with credit and what you can do with it, you're going to have to work with a financing professional who really understands what the current loan programs are, what your credit is really worth, and you may be within like two or three or five points of a next tier. And if you know that, then you can go get a credit coach who can help you get to that next level. The other thing is they're going to be able to tell you what that credit is really worth and who you might need to associate with in terms of income or balance sheet to kind of be a total picture that a lender would be willing to look at. So it's a complex question, but it's a great question. And credit in today's market is an excellent, excellent asset. The only thing I would add is that uh, your credit score is going to vary depending on who pulls your credit and what economic engine they use. So make sure you get with a mortgage professional to find out how your credit stacks up when it comes to real estate investing. All right, great question. We got lots more questions to get to. We'll get to as many as we can today. When we come back, we're going to have a question for you, a real estate trivia question and a chance to win a prize. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys Radio Network. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at Real Estate guysradio.com are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. And why U.S. real estate continues to drop, Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Please. As investors survey the country for markets and properties that will perform well for them over the next five to ten years, one market in particular stands out. That's Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta was the second fastest growing MSA throughout the last decade. It's home to the world's busiest airport and has one of the highest concentrations of Fortune 500 companies in the country. Atlanta is expected to add 100,000 new people every year for the next ten years, and just next year alone, Atlanta is predicted to add over 50,000 new jobs. Now, what if I told you you could buy fully renovated, leased, and cash-flowing investment properties in this market for half a replacement cost? That's right, three- and four-bedroom homes in good suburban neighborhoods that can be purchased completely renovated for seventy dollars to $90,000. At Georgia Residential Partners, this is exactly what we do. We've been helping investors all over the country make solid real estate purchases in Atlanta for almost seven years. Call us today at 770-924-5450. Or check us out online at gainvesting.com. Hi, this is Lawrence Yuan, Chief Economist with National Association of Realtors, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks so much for tuning in and for all your great questions. We'll get back to answering more of them as soon as we take a quick break to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize. By knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question, now in just a minute, I'm going to give you a question that has something to do with real estate. When you hear it and think you know the answer or want to take a guess, quickly get to your computer and send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia 
at realestateguysradio.com. Be sure to include your name and mailing address so that if you win, we can send you the prize, an autographed copy of Equity Happens, Building Lifelong Wealth with Real Estate, our book on real estate investing. Before we uh, get to this week's question, last week on The Real Estate Guys, we had an amazing interview with real estate entrepreneur Jay Massey, and we asked this, which U.S. state boasts the largest blueberry crop in the nation? Clearly, the answer was Maine. Yeah, the state of Maine boasts the largest blueberry crop in the nation. And wouldn't you? Here's our trivia question for this week. Which United States city has more golfers per capita than any other city in the country? Which U.S. city has more golfers per capita than any other city in the U.S.? If you know or want to take a guess, simply send your answer and your mailing address to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. And you might be the proud owner of an autographed copy of Equity Happens, Building Lifelong Wealth with Real Estate, our book on real estate investing. That is today's real estate trivia question. It's Ask the Guys on the Real Estate Guys today. Your cards and letters. If you have a question for the guys, just go to our website at realestateguysradio.com. Click on the button that says Ask the Guys and tell us what your question is. We don't promise to answer everyone and we certainly don't answer them personally, although occasionally when we're stuck on an airplane or the tarmac for a few hours, uh, we will respond to these. But we love to get them and especially if it's a question that applies to a lot of folks. This one, next one comes from Greg in Manchester, New Hampshire. He says, Hi guys, I recently discovered your podcast and I've been listening to as many episodes as I can pack in end of the day. I appreciate the lack of hype, but the enthusiasm and intelligence you bring to real estate investing. Oh, go on, Greg. Uh, <laughs> but I'm dying of curiosity. I've heard you mention the seven investor resources several times, one of which I discovered is your credit score. In fact, we just talked about that. So I'm wondering what the other six are. I've searched your website, but haven't found a list of the seven. Thanks, Greg. All right, Greg, here are the seven essential investor resources. Cash, cash flow, equity, credit we've talked about, and then time, talent, and relationships. And there's lots of subcategories in there, but they all fit under one of those seven. So you'll hear people talk about the nine resources or the 12 resources, but they can all fit into those seven the way we see it. And so there's the financial ones, which have to do with how much cash you have in, a, in an account or in a pile or in a mattress, what your cash flow is every month that you can work on, how well your credit fits into that equation, as we just discussed. And then if there's equity you have in a property, and that sometimes can be used through an exchange or through a cash-out refi or through a sale. And then there's the non-financial resources that you have, which in my book are even more important. A lot of folks have time, but not a lot of money. Well, time is a very valuable resource. In fact, probably more valuable than money because you can always get more money, but you can't get any more time. Right. So time is a huge resource. Then your talent, what are you good at? And what are the people in your network good at? That's the relationships part. The relationships you have are crucial. If I had to put my star on the number one most important investor essential resource, relationships is the one. More important than your time, your talent, or any of your financial resources are who you know. This is a relationship business. So there are the seven essential investor resources according to the Real Estate Guys. Thanks for your question, Greg. Our next question comes from Jess. He's in Billings, Montana. He wants to know how to get started. I'm really interested in getting started in real estate, but I don't know how to analyze the markets around here. There isn't a mentoring club I can attend. I'm also confused as to what type of property to start with, single family or multifamily. I'm a little bit older, 57, than most most of the people I read about starting out. I do have $250,000 in my 401k and I was wondering if I could transfer it to real estate without Uncle Sam taking a big chunk. I have downloaded all of your podcasts and I love them. Thanks, Jess. All right, all of our podcasts. So Jess, first, uh, get a life. And uh, so, no, 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 we really appreciate that. We run into people all the time that are listening to us more than we do. Uh, but <laughs> we only get to do this once a week. People find our show and they haven't listened forever. And they go back and listen to years full of stuff. And we meet them on field. So yeah, on the show you did three and a half years ago, you said this. And we're like, we did really? Okay, great. Uh, but here's the thing. It's never too late to get started, and 57 is young when it comes to real estate investing. The average real estate investor starts in their late 40s or early 50s, so you haven't missed anything. I mean, you know, great for Dan, who's 21 years old, looking to invest, but here's what a 21-year-old doesn't have. 
$250,000 in their 401k. So good job there. So first of all, let's talk about, there's two questions here, how to analyze a market and then what about the 401k? So two distinct subjects. So analyzing a market, let's talk about that. That's a big, big topic. But you're basically looking for what are the drivers in a marketplace and why would someone continue to want to come there to work, to play, to retire? What are the reasons or what I call the stories around a marketplace? And to analyze a market, it always has to be compared to what? How is the unemployment or the employment? What are the industries? Are the industries that are increasing there the industries that are going out? What's the population? What's the net in migration? Are people leaving or entering a state or a city or a marketplace? So there's a lots of things that you're going to look at to analyze a marketplace and it's always compared to what? Now the answer to that question really takes two full days to describe and we haven't done this since 2006 but right around the corner is analyzing markets and properties the due diligence process a two-day event we're doing in Dallas Texas so you can check out our website to come to that and really learn about market analysis but definitely start comparing markets in terms of the things that are going to drive real estate now your question about can you use your 401k without Uncle Sam taking a big old bite absolutely but it depends on the situation of your employment. Yeah, so if the 401k is with your current employer, the uh, charter or the way it's organized, the rules, if you will, probably is not going to allow you to use that money privately. You might be able to borrow it out. The limit used to be $50,000 and you gotta make payments. I'm not sure what the current rules are. Uh, the ideal scenario is if you've left employment and now you have what's called a, a rollover 401k, you have the ability to roll that out of a 401k program with whoever you left it with and put it in what's called a self-directed IRA with a custodian who will allow you to self-direct or decide where you're going to make that investment. There's lots of them out there. Uh, they have great educational resources, many of them, so you can spend some time getting educated. It's one of the hottest sources of capital right now, so you're not going to have any problem figuring this out. You Google around, you're going to find some folks. Do your homework though, because here's the thing. If you don't get it right, the IRS will come in and you're going to pay a big tax penalty way bigger than you can imagine or would ever want to pay, that's the bad news. The good news is if you work with your tax professional and you really know what you're doing, that money is absolutely available for you to work with and you can get it out a number of ways. You can, you can loan it into a deal, you can uh, partner with other people or even with yourself if it's done properly. The most important concept is you can't receive a current benefit until you're, I think, what, 59 and a half, you're 57, in two and a half years, you would be able to do that without at least the, the penalty. You still would have to pay tax on the withdrawal, but that maybe wouldn't be so bad uh, depending on what kind of tax breaks you get on the investments you make. So it's gonna end up being a tax question at the end of the day, and you're gonna wanna visit with your CPA once you have your mind around the fundamental rules. Yeah, you also have to find out what the situation is with your 401k. We don't know from your, your question. If you're still working at a company and their 401k, unless they provide for in-service withdrawals, which is very rare, you're not gonna be able to use that money directly to invest in real estate right away, but I would check it out. Again, if it's something you can roll over into an IRA, that's a wonderful tool. All right, great question, Jess. Our next question comes from Diana, and she uh, we don't know where she's from because she asked this question on Facebook. By the way, you can definitely look up the Real Estate Guys on Facebook and like us because we love when you like us. And uh, she says, I have a question regarding home equity. We have our mortgage with a certain bank, and we have recently received a home mortgage equity accelerator enrollment certificate that seems too good to be true. The deal is that for an enrollment fee of $295 and a bi-weekly automatic withdrawal payment, the total mortgage is divided in two and it's only an additional $5 more a month. We'll be increasing our equity by $23,600. We'll be saving $49,000 between interest and savings. I don't get it. How can making the same amount of money payments will save me money and pay faster and increase my equity? Is this another magical bank invention? <laughs> Please, I'd really appreciate your comments. Well, it is a magical invention and it's called math. <laughs> it is definitely called math. First of all, a bi-weekly program is 26 payments yeah. cut in half. 26 cut in half is 13. So at the end of the year, you've made one additional mortgage payment for the entire year. The other thing is the time value of money. Wait, by paying half the payment more often, you actually are decreasing the amount of interest due. Now it's a mathematical formula. And these programs have been around for a long time. Some banks will send you this offer themselves because they've just done the math. Other times, it's a third party that just happens to know the name of your mortgage company because it's public record somewhere. So look at, into whether it's actually your mortgage company that's offering. My guess is because of the enrollment fee and the $5, it's a third party. And it doesn't make it bad, but I'll tell you what, 
you can do 100% of this management without anybody helping you. Exactly. All you do is exactly what they're telling you to do. You divide out your payment and you, you divide it in two and every two weeks you send it and the earlier you send it, the quicker that they are going to have to stop accruing interest on the unpaid balance. And so that's what happens. But it really opens up a much bigger question of all the things you could put your money into. If your interest rate on your mortgage payment is four or five percent and it's tax deductible, which means your net expense on that could be as low as three or two and a half, depending on your tax bracket, is that the highest and best use of your extra money? Is that really what you want to do? Or could you find other investments? So that's one thing is just what's the return on my investment. The second thing is, is what else might you be able to do with that cash flow? If you were able to leverage that cash flow into another property or put it someplace else, you might get a lot more bang for your buck there. The other third thing is, I'm not a big fan of putting more and more equity into a property because now you're just exposing that money to the market. If the market goes down, it takes your equity with it. If you get sued, it's a big target. If you end up getting behind on your payments, you go on a short list of people the bank want to foreclose on. I'd rather owe 100% or more on my property because the bank is going to work with me. If I only own 30 or 40% on my property and I got 50-60% equity in my property and I get into trouble and miss a couple of payments, they're going to be all over me to take that property because it's very profitable for them. So there's lots of reasons why you don't want to have a bunch of money lumped into your property uh, and those are just a few of them. All right, so great question, Diana, and uh, thanks for uh, liking us on Facebook. The real question there is just to uh, do the math and the math will tell you what to do, but uh, it's not some magic hokey formula. It's just math and it makes a lot of sense for the lender to consider it. Whether it makes sense for you or not is up to you in your personal situation. For a lot of people, the ease of just paying every other week is easy enough to, to realize those gains. And if it's property you're planning to keep for many, many years, you really will save $49,000. However, to Russ's point, if I had taken that money and invested, maybe my investment could have created $100,000 or $150,000. Right. So do the math and the math will tell you what to do. All right, our next question comes from Australia from Quinn. He says, I'm a real estate investor from Australia and I've already invested in Atlanta, Georgia. I would like to learn more about the local submarkets for cash flow and growth. I'm unable to make it on the field trip. Have you thought of videotaping the highlights of the trip and places visited? I'd be more than happy to purchase the video. This would make the trip more accessible to investors around the world. All right, great uh, question. You know, we actually do videotape much of our field trips and, and uh, we, we've toyed with this very idea. Wouldn't it be great to try to capture the field trip on uh, on video. The the reality is though it really is an experience. There's only so much you can do that you can access through the internet and through audio and video learning which we're big proponents of, but at some point understanding a market and the vibrancy of it and the reality of what we call kicking the dirt is something we feel you can only do in person. We'd probably make more money doing it because we could do the trip and sell the video to thousands of people. But then I think there would be maybe several dozen people out of those thousands of people that would have otherwise taken the trip and the trip and physically being there and interacting and being immersed in the marketplace yourself is so much more valuable. To me, it just does a big disservice to those people, uh, even though, yes, it helps the other people. I think really, if you're serious about investing in a marketplace, you need to go there. If you already own properties there, it's deductible. Look for another time we do a trip. We're going to do another one to Atlanta, Georgia. I'm sure there's other folks out there, but uh, the, the point is, is that a video just can't replace being there. I don't think so. I mean, you can learn a lot, right? And we're doing more and more case studies for our inner circle members. We're doing case studies of properties all around the country and the world, in fact. And that's a way to learn, but it's not enough to learn the sub-markets, right? There are some great examples of that in Atlanta. We looked at two markets side-by-side -side, built at the same time by the same developer, drastically different when you fast-forward 40 years to see what's happened in those marketplaces. I don't know how you capture that on, on video. And not only that, production costs of quality video are so high that it would have to create a product that really did do the job. And until we're convinced that can be done, we're not going to devote the time and attention to it. On the trip to Atlanta, we had people from four different countries there. So I completely empathize with the fact that you live 17 hours away. I'll tell you the way to make the most of it, though, is to find out what else you can do while you're there. Spend some extra time in the marketplace. Come early, stay late. We often will bunch our trips together, like we have a couple from Panama 
who just came to the field trip in Atlanta and to the syndication event we just did in Phoenix. So they figured out a way to be able to be at two events and probably did a bunch of other things in between. So it's a great idea. We'd love to be able to do it. We, we do have some ideas and, and have captured a lot of the content that we'll be using in case studies and so forth for Inner Circle. But uh, so far, we don't have a, a platform to be able to film an entire trip. We just one other just add on there also is just that part of what happens is you're going out to dinner, you're riding around in the bus, and you're talking to these people from other marketplaces, other countries, and you're picking up their perspectives. There's no way to capture all those conversations and turn it into a video. And that's a big part of the value add. I mean, you can certainly go tour a market on your own, and that's interesting, but the interaction with the other people is a big part of it too. So we're just big fans. As much as it's hard work, it's hard work for us too. We just think it's a lot better to actually be there. All right, we've got more questions when we come back. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. It's Ask the Guys. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. Even better, invest where you have a solid team to support you. We've been hearing great things about Memphis, Tennessee, and Terry Kerr from Mid-South Homebuyers. Since 2002, Terry and his team have been delivering turnkey rental property solutions ideal for out-of-area real estate investors. So if you're looking for affordable, trouble-free, turnkey investment property, call Terry. Use our resource hotline at 888-510-6838, extension 118. That's 888-510-6838, extension 118. Or find them in the resources area of our website at realestateguysradio.com. Why is it that in every horror movie, there's a pretty girl who goes into a creepy house and heads down into the scary basement? Nothing good ever happens in the basement. What is she thinking? I feel the same way when I continue to see Americans dump billions into 401ks, IRAs, and mutual funds, even self-directed IRAs. On top of that, they continue to perpetuate the massive U.S. banking system by keeping large deposits at banks and using credit cards and other loans for purchases. Don't they realize what's going to happen? More profit for them and less profit for you. Nothing good ever happens in the basement. Now there's another way. Visit our friends at Paradigm Life by going to www.beerbank.com and learn how to become your own banker today. Hi, this is Kim Kiyosaki. I'm the author of Rich Woman, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. And welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program, the number one downloaded podcast on real estate. I'm your host, Robert Helms. You are the guest. It's Ask the Guys. This question comes from Jeff via email. He says, I'm fairly new to your show and had enjoyed it. That's why I was really disappointed in your recent podcast on economics, politics, and freedom. Frankly, I'm a little tired of blaming Obama for not turning around the economy and the real estate market fast enough. What kind of economy did George Bush leave us with again? Where do you think the backlog of foreclosures came from, and what has Obama done to hinder the real estate market? Your expert, and he's referring to Dr. Mark Skousen, who was our guest on that show, blames Obama and then goes on to say these things are long cycles and take time to bottom out. Then he's saying home builders are recovering. Lots of positives going on there. He sounds incredibly biased and determined to present his politics without any actual data or specifics to back him up, sort of like Donald Trump, who appears to be another hero of yours. Obviously, you agree with your guests, and that's your right, just as it's my right not to listen. However, my advice would be to stay away from politics and stick to real estate. All right. Well, first of all, I hope the fact that we're addressing this question shows that uh, we're not just a Pollyanna about the good stuff that comes in. We receive so few emails like this. It's amazing, right? right. I mean, once a month, perhaps, no. if not even that much. I mean, twice a year. Uh, but but let's we want to we want to delve into this because here's the deal. The gentleman we're talking about, Dr. Mark Skousen, is an economist. He's for more than 30 years been putting out an, a very well respected newsletter. He teaches at a very respected university. He's written textbooks. Books, dozens of books. So the guy has earned the right to have an opinion. Just like when we had Donald Trump on the show. After 15 years of hosting a show on real estate, we had an opportunity to interview Donald Trump. We're going to take that opportunity. And here's the thing we do on our show that's different than a lot of journalists. We let the guests say what they want to say. I'm interested in hearing what Dr. Mark Skousen or Donald Trump thinks. It doesn't mean we agree with them. In fact, far from it. Spending a lot of time with a guy who is very controversial, but a good friend of ours, Robert Kiyosaki, we've come to the same point that, that he's at. We are not political. We don't care whether you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian, left-handed, blue. None of that matters. To us, we're trying to understand the economy. And when we get someone in the interview seat who has a political opinion, sometimes it comes out. People are entitled to their opinion, and we let them speak freely. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I 
want to address some of this because I think it's great. What kind of an economy did George Bush leave us with? A crappy one in the stimulus program that he started with Henry Paulson was not a positive thing. I mean, it did not create jobs and President Obama inherited a mess. Now, Dr. Skousen has his political beliefs. We didn't ask him for his political beliefs. He volunteered them. What we asked him is what he thought, and he told us. Now, you know, we can't, to your point, Robert, dictate what's going to come out of somebody's mouth, but we were inviting them onto the show because we're interested in hearing what they have to say. And then the thing that I thought was interesting is my advice would be to stay away from politics and stick to real estate. If the politicians would stay away from real estate, we could probably do that. But the reality is the policies that get made, I mean, I'm talking going all the way back, the Federal Reserve Act in 1913 had a profound effect on real estate because it affected the money supply and created long-term inflation. It's what the book Equity Happens is all about. You look at what happened in 1933 with the New Deal and the Social Security and all of that. That has had a profound effect on deficit spending, which has an effect on the amount of bonds that the Treasury buys and what they're doing with interest rate, and that affects mortgages. So there's no way you have to look at government spending and policies that affect these things uh, are going to create ramifications. We're trying to understand what those ramifications are. Dr. Skousen is a brilliant educator and he's a brilliant economist, whether you like his politics or not. His understanding of economics leads him to a, a place where he looks at policies and goes, that's bad economics, therefore it's bad policy. Somebody else may say, hey, yes, but I'm very sympathetic and I care about people and we need to care for the elderly, we need to care for the poor, and we need to be involved overseas and we need to do all these things. That's your politics, that's great. What he's saying is that if you spend money in these areas and the government is spending at a negative deficit spending, it is going to create economic ramifications and what we're saying is that's going to affect your real estate, like it or not. And that's really the point. And so if you want to understand, you have to understand the mechanics of how the economy works. Guys like Skousen can teach it to you. So our encouragement to everybody out there, because we're going to have more of these guys, right? You have to set aside what resonates with you and what you think is important and just listen to what they're saying and ask yourself, is that the way it really works and will it affect me? Because if I don't like what it's doing, but it still affects me, I still have to pay attention. You know, the real challenge with even talking about politics is that it polarizes people. My advice would just be to keep your mind open as long as you can. I have learned some amazing things from people with very different political beliefs because I separate out their politics from their information. Now, you can tell if somebody is just chanting some political slogan or if they can get in an intellectual conversation about their beliefs. I'm always open to hearing that, and I keep politics completely off to the side and that's really hard to do. Yeah, in our recommended reading, we have a thing on banking and politics, I believe, and we have the creature from Jekyll Island, G. Edward Griffith, and he's talking about how the Fed was a conspiracy and it's created uh, you know, a very bad situation in the United States. We also have another book by a guy named Wessel, and his book is in Fed We Trust, and he thinks Ben Bernanke's a hero and saved the economy. Both the books are in there, and they're both recommended. Why? Because they offer two different viewpoints on the same institution here in the United States. And so that's an important thing. For you to understand it, you have to see all the perspectives. Another guy in there, Lords of Finance, says we absolutely cannot have a gold standard. We have to be off a gold standard. We have Steve Forbes on the show. He thinks it's a gold standard. Peter Schiff thinks a gold standard is what we need to have. All right, I don't know. I want to understand what that means, why they think it. And if all of a sudden somebody starts running around saying gold standard is coming, I want to anticipate what that's going to mean to me as an investor. Yeah, you want to hear both sides and then you want to decide for yourself. And that's our job as journalists is to bring you information and let the people talk. You know, we had Herman Cain on our show. He was running for president with one political party. We, we would have had the, the candidate from the other political party, except it's the incumbent, and we put a request into the White House <laughs> and asked for an interview with President Obama. He is welcome on this show anytime. We would love to have him on the show. He's a little busy right now. He may be busy for another four years. He may not. We're going to still ask. I would love to hear what he has to say, but you know what I'll do? I'll let him talk. 
I'm not going to jump in. I'm not going to start accusing like a lot of the journalists. Talk. People think that we agree with what our guests say because of the way that I interview people. I have learned long ago the best way to get what somebody is passionate about is to let them speak. Now, if you don't agree with it, sometimes you have to grit your teeth. But if you'll grit your teeth and if you'll listen, who knows? You might just learn something. And that's true not just for this show, but that's true in life. You know, when you're trying to get a business deal done and you want to understand where somebody's coming from, you kind of have to listen even if you disagree with them. So take that for what it's worth. Hopefully that's helpful. All right. And we have time for just one more. This comes from Brian in Los Angeles. He says, hi, guys. Like many other people, we're underwater with our home. We're considering our options. We're underwater nearly 200K. My question is, where can I find online resources to help me explore my options? Other particular sites? We do have a distressed borrower help center on our site or realestateguysradio.com. Just go to the resources tab and uh, you'll see that. We don't have time to answer the question, but we do have time to let you know that next week on the show, we have a guest who's going to talk about this very thing. So make sure you tune in next week when we will uh, give you some information you can definitely use or hopefully use, Brian. We appreciate uh, the questions more than we can get to, but we still want your questions. Go to our website at realestateguysradio.com. Click on Ask the Guys and Fire Away. Thanks for all the great questions. Sorry if we didn't get to yours. Next week on the show, we've got a great program looking at what you can do if you're underwater and if you still have distress in your real estate. Until then, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.